Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 7. Beetlehouse Makes Up His Mind. He was surprised to see Beetlehouse's chauffeur parked at the curb at the airport. Billy Hawkins, said Carrie as the gray-haired man got out of the car. How you doing, Billy? Well, I'm doing very well, Brian, but George wants to see you right now, even though it's Sunday afternoon. I'm trying to figure out what the problem is here. He slid inside the limousine. He didn't say. He just said, bring you to the Tempora building after the game. Skies were threatening as Hawkins steered the lengthy automobile through the Miami streets. Carrie was certain that Beetlehouse would attempt to dissuade him from going to Texas, probably over dinner. However, Carrie was firmly entrenched in his belief that he was definitely going to Texas, and Beetlehouse would just have to accept that. He had strong conviction and did not want to be compromised. The massive glass building was empty on that gray Sunday as Carrie walked into the lobby of the 30th floor. He went through the open door to Beetlehouse's secretary's office and he saw the general manager alone in his office looking out the window in a heavy cloud of cigar smoke. George, called Carrie as he came into the room. The formidable executive was silent as he faced Carrie. His features seemed haggard and his silver sideburns stood out like porcupine quills. You look tired, George. Perk up. Just because we lost today, smiled Carrie as he put his hand on Beetlehouse's shoulder. Beetlehouse looked down at his hand and then quickly scurried behind his desk. Brian, sit down, he said as Carrie sat in the chair next to the desk. Not upset about the game? Have you thought any more about our talk about the executions? Yes, I have, George, and I haven't changed my position. I'm going to fly to Texas tomorrow morning now. Brian, please don't go. I'm pleading with you as a friend. Forget about this whole thing. You have to stop all your activities. There's more to this than you realize. George, I'm perfectly capable of thinking for myself. You don't run my life. I realize exactly what's going on here, said Carrie unequivocally. Brian, said Beetlehouse as the lines on his tired face tightened in deep grooves. I don't want to have to threaten you. What? George, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm going to be intimidated. I'm going to Texas and that's that, he said clearly as he started to leave. You know what happened and who you were with in that hotel, Brian, fired Beetlehouse. Carrie was one step into the secretary's office, stopped abruptly, and stood with his back to Beetlehouse for some time. So, you've been spying on me. Carrie turned around very slowly. And just what did your boys find out? Well, they found out that you're good friends with Frankie Fisher. There's another man named Louis Norco, who's a high-level mob assassin. Boris Reputek, what's he doing there? This man is as crooked as they come. Then some dumbbell named Molly Sender. You have no proof of anything. Look at you, George. You're as upset as I am. Who's putting you up to this? No one's putting me up to anything. I pull the strings around here. Yeah, until management says no. Listen to me. My actions are for the best interest of the ball club and for your own good. You can't hang around with people like this. The information I have... These people are under investigation by the federal government. They probably already know what you're up to. I'm telling you, it's for your own good. For my own good? Oh, never mind me. You're just worried about the image of the ball club and what the public would think because I was hanging around with my friends. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? I think you're bluffing, George. 
I'm not bluffing, said Beetlehouse as he went over to his desk and took out a large envelope from the top drawer. Here, do you think I'm bluffing? Here they all are. You guys aren't doing anything wrong here, but I want to know what else you're involved in with these men. Carrie opened the envelope. When he saw the contents, he realized Beetlehouse was in complete control of his life now. He sat down in the chair and raised his hands to his head. Beetlehouse pushed a button on the tape recorder, and the sounds of the night before and the party and the playing cards echoed around the office. All right, okay, you win, George. Recanted Carrie as Beetlehouse shut off the machine and dialed his telephone. Who are you calling now, George? I'm calling Max Crager. All you have to say is you've reconsidered your position and you'll never have anything to do with this, this, this execution movement. Connect me with Max Crager's office. Tell him Brian Carey is calling, said Beetlehouse as he handed the phone to Carey. Here you go, Brian. Hello, Brian. Mr. Crager, uh, I've reconsidered my position and I will not be coming to Texas, nor will I be involved in the life movement ever again, he said softly. What? I don't understand. You said... I'm sorry, I've made up my mind. That's the way it is, said Carey as he handed the telephone back to Beetlehouse and stood and left like a zombie, not uttering a single word. He hung his head as Beetlehouse watched him board the elevator. Damn, yelled Beetlehouse, slamming down the telephone. He clenched both his fists downward on the desk. In the middle of his tantrum, the telephone rang. Hello, he screamed. Oh, it's you. Wow, it's over and done with. He's out of the life movement now, okay? You happy? And for what? At this point, I'd rather lose my job than to see him like this. What's that? I know it's bigger than I think. I know they're under investigation. He told me that before, and I told him that. And he doesn't care. They're his friends, all right? So what the hell does that mean? This kid's life is ruined. You probably ruined the whole team. You're all a bunch of ruthless bastards. And you can quote me on that wherever you choose. You want to fire me? Then go ahead. He grabbed his coat and rushed to the elevators to catch Carrie. Pushing the button, he waited and waited. Finally, the elevator doors opened and the car was loaded to the brim with people. Precious minutes passed as each group of people wanted to get off on a different floor. As the door opened to the lobby, he ran over to Hawkins, who was standing next to the door. Where is he, Hawkins? Where is he? In the limo? No, Mr. Beetlehouse. He hailed a cab and uh, no more than a minute ago, answered the chauffeur. I should have taken the executive elevator. Let's hurry. That boy is all messed up now, and it's all my fault, he said as they came out of the building into the rain. Get me back to Kibiskane, ordered Beetlehouse as he opened the door for himself and hopped inside. Carrie was already halfway across the bridge connecting Miami with Key Biscayne. The rain pounded so hard on the windshield that the wipers barely had time to push it away. He had the feeling deep within his psyche like someone he had known closely had just died suddenly. Life and the executions were the farthest things away from his mind. 250, Mr. Carey, said the driver. Carey handed him a $10 bill and got out of the cab. The wind whipped the rain across his face and he stumbled up the walk. He unlocked the door to the large house and got out of the dampness. Once he was inside, the situation was magnified even more. He thought back to only a few months before when he realized that hanging around with these people might be a problem. 
Yet they were his friends, and he had done nothing wrong. It was hidden like a monstrous plague from the public, his friends, his wife, and his children. How would he explain contacts to known criminals and killers? He did not have any answers as he pushed his long fingers through his wet hair. It seemed hopeless now. His career might be over. He paced around the room, the emotion building up like a charged battery. Maybe they'd understand. Maybe he could continue. The pressures were great. It would get greater if the law got involved. No, I can't face this. I can't. No more. He ran into the bedroom. No more. He repeated over and over. Beetlehausen was yelling at his chauffeur to go faster, and Hawkins nearly lost control of the limousine as it rounded the slippery corner to Carey Street. Beetlehouse had figured that Carey might do something stupid. Beetlehouse knocked on the door and saw it was unlocked. Ryan! He called several times as he saw the wet footprints on the carpet. He was growing impatient as he searched the house, finally coming onto the patio, and he saw Carey's solitary figure standing knee-deep in the water. Oh my god! quickly opened the glass door on the patio and stepped into the howling storm. The waves of the feisty Atlantic broke sharply as the tropical storm swept around him, bending the palms at steep angles. The dark clouds hung over the choppy waters like the suffocating pillows of death as Carey wandered into the crashing surf. By this time, Carey's clothes had become soaked and as he looked into the ocean, he could visualize his body being swept out to sea. Beetlehouse, 50 feet to his rear, closed in on him, Many things in his past floated in and out of his confused mind. He remembered back to the first time he had swung a baseball bat and his older brothers clapping as he got his first hit. In a quantum leap forward, he was in the major league and thousands of people were applauding. Just as suddenly, there was a different crowd cheering for Carey, the political speaker, exhorting what he thought was right. He had to fight for these things. Capital punishment law was wrong. He saw Beetlehouse now, standing but a few feet behind him, his three-piece suit sopping wet in the storm and his white hair padded down to his skull. You made the right decision, kid. What are you doing here, George? Get lost, George. I don't ever want to see you again. Brian, listen to me. I'm going to Texas, George. I won't oppose you, Brian, okay? I'm sorry for what I did. I was wrong. I was listening to the wrong people. I'll never mention who you're hanging around with ever again. I will support you legally and morally. If you want to have those friends, you have your friends. If you want to get involved with this life movement, then I'll help you as much as I can. You'll lose your job, George, yelled Carrie. Never mind me. All I can tell you is to be careful. If you need my help, you call me. There's trouble brewing in Texas, Brian. I can sense it. This thing is much bigger than you think. Join us next week for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.